0: Join hands with Scotty, Friday, September 3rd from 10 to 2 at Mountland Supplies Tool Day's Tailgate Party. Get great deals on Milwaukee, Husqvarna, Fall Tech, and many more. Win great raffle prizes like jazz tickets, B-suites, and free power tools. All at Mountain Supplies Tool Day's Tailgate, Friday, September 3rd. 1505 West, 130 South in Orem. Riley Jensen is going to join us here momentarily. Our college football insider joining us every week, and we will get his takes on week one, what to expect, what to hope for, what to see. And there are some big games this week, PK, but there are also a lot of games that look pretty lopsided. Obviously, this Ute opener doesn't even have a – doesn't even have a point spread because it's Big Sky, it's Pac-12, it's uh, Championship Subdivision.
1: Hey, don't be sleeping on the Wildcats. Subdivision. 13 all-Big Sky guys, Josh Davis, stud running back. But they won't win.
0: But don't sleep on them. Those are two <laughs> different things.
1: Well, don't sleep on them at the Big Sky level, that's for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely not. Four straight conference titles.
1: Let's go for five, man. That would be great.
0: That is the goal. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. I can't believe Jay Hill's still coaching there.
0: Somebody should have snapped him up.
1: Somebody's going to get some. They're going to get somebody, or somebody. They're going to get him. Whoever gets him, I don't know how, what I'm trying to say. I'm, I know what I'm trying to say. I can't what you're say trying
0: what to say is hopefully he'll stay at Weber State and win until that San Diego State job comes open in a year I am or two. Not.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, wait. That's what I'm saying.
1: I would re- I'd root for San Diego State if that were the case. I mean, I don't root against him. I don't really care. But uh, obviously, I'd be rooting for Jay Hill wherever he goes.
0: Time now to talk to Riley Jensen, our college football insider, on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, guys? Football, It's here. Now, of course, it looks like we're slated for some blowouts. Las Vegas doesn't want to put a point spread on the Weber State-Utah game. They never do when the Big Sky's playing the Pac-12. So they expect a blowout there. And then you see that BYU is a 12.5-point favorite over Arizona. Washington State is a 17-point favorite over Utah State. Which of these three games is most likely... To have a really interesting fourth quarter and be a competitive game and a kind of thing like I'm not going to bed early. I don't care if it's midnight. This game's getting right down to it. Who would that be? Oh,
2: that's a that's a tough one. I, I mean, I usually Vegas has kind of some interesting insight. <laughs> they don't they don't really miss very much at least on their on their on their line. If you're looking for a good fourth quarter. I mean, I guess I'm just going to go with my heart and hope that Utah State's in it in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but I, I think those lines are about right. I, the one thing that I will say, and you guys were just talking about Jay Hill, and you're right, you should root for Jay Hill. That's, that's a fantastic coach. It's a fantastic person. And if he's at San Diego State, I'm going to be really, 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 really upset for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but he would be very happy to have him. I think the one thing that I could say about Weber State and the Utah matchup is there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. This Weber State team is patterned almost exactly after the University of Utah. You're going to see the same type of defenses, you're going to see the same type of players. Now, of course they're not they're not as deep and they don't have as many good players as the University of Utah. But this is a really good Weber fo- football team and As I watch them and as I talk to the coaches, I think there's as many, and and look, this is from the freshman class all the way to the senior class, I think there's as many as five NFL football players on the team at Weber State right now. So this is not a terrible team, and I would expect for Utah fans to feel some uncomfortable moments. I mean, Josh Davis is a really good football player. You got Bronson Barron, who's already had a freshman year and is still a true freshman, right? He's he's played some good football. There's a guy by the name of Jared Scheiss on the defensive line. You got Connor Mortensen that plays linebacker. These are fun football players to watch. And so if you feel a little bit uncomfortable as a Utah fan tonight, it's okay. This is a really, really good Weaver State football
1: team. So we've got with Washington State and the uh, Aggies, both coaches refusing to name their quarterbacks uh, game week. And we've had that around here a time or two, but both BYU and Utah, they were, pretty much knew who it was going to be, and they made it official, so they did name them. No big zero surprise there. But what do you think about this cat-and-mouse game that the coaches play? I, I, I think it's a big
2: nothing burger. I don't. I mean, especially the first game of the year. The first game of the year, it's not like – you know, if you're trying to pick your quarterback, it's not like anybody could prepare really specifically for one quarterback anyway. And good, sound, uh, sound and, and organized defenses, like they're not, they're not really worried whether this guy is like a dual threat or whether he's a pocket passer. They're more worried about playing fundamentally sound defense. And I think, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. More than anything, I think it's a little bit of, the condemnation sometimes on their position, like, oh, you, you haven't had a starter step forward. That kind of means that you're, you're disappointed with whoever you thought the guy was going to be. That he's not playing well enough. And so, if you're still playing the cat and mouse game, um, most of the players know who the guy is. And if you don't start the guy, who's the guy? Who the players know is the guy. Then then the coach is making a fundamental mistake. But I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit familiar with the Washington State program. The the, the the way, and and really at Hawaii, when Rolovich was at Hawaii, I don't, I, I kind of disagree fundamentally with the way that he's treated quarterbacks over the years. I, I don't like the way he does it. It's just my opinion. And I don't think, I, I don't think it helps the quarterbacks to play to the best of their ability.
0: So if you don't name a quarterback, are you okay with not naming a running back? Because obviously the Utes are going to go into the season, much as they did last year, giving three or four different guys, five, seven, ten carries, whatever, sorted out. Last year they found their guy and they gave him 27 carries in game three. It looks like we're going down the same road. You okay with that?
2: I'm I'm okay with it because I think it's a little bit different position. I think it's one of those positions where you can play three guys, and I think – I think it was towards the end of Mike Shanahan's career at the Denver Broncos. He started proving that you could have like a sixth round draft pick as long as you have a good offensive line, and then you can play around with running backs until you find the guy that really has rhythm. And you know they end up having two, three good running backs every year. And I think I think that's kind of what most teams. I mean, they talk about the NFL being copycat. College is copycat more than anyone. And when you and when you start to see that, like, okay, well. We can play three or four guys till we really find out who our guy is. That's not really a big deal because even if you find your guy and you give him the ball 27 times, your second guy might be a really good third-down situational player. He might be really good at pass blocking, and he might be really good at catching the ball out of the backfield, and that's the guy that you want in the game in those situations. And so you really can find out a lot, and I think that's why when you're when you're using your preseason schedule, it's kind of important for a team like Utah um, it's really important for a Pac-12 team to be a little bit wise in the way that they schedule themselves, so that they can ease into their conference season um, and fig- by figuring out who their real guy is. Because it's really hard to tell what a running back can do until you're in really super live reps. It's hard. It's hard to tell.
1: So Arizona is going to go the other way. Their coach announces that they're going to play two guys, and that's a little unusual, but we've seen it. And particularly at Arizona, it's probably a little more acceptable because he's got uh, – Fish has got major uh, rebuilding to do. The program is bottomed out, losing 12 in a row. But what I want to know from you is what do you think about when they're going to go with – not the fact that they're going with two, but how do you set that up because – do you go with a hard fast? Okay, you're coming in on the second quarter, but suppose the first guy lights it up in the first quarter. You're a 12-point underdog. Suppose you're up 17-3. to Why commit to go and play? And how do you, do you have a preset, or do you see how it goes? Because that opens it up for a lot of questions and interpretations, and I'm not sure what the answers are. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you, you have to have a plan. I mean –
2: you can't just go into the game and not have a plan. Whether it's every other series, which I think is a total mistake to a quarterback because it's it's a rhythm position. It's like saying it's like t- saying to a starting pitcher in in the major leagues, like, okay, so we're gonna have you pitch every other inning, and I know you can't really do that, right? But, yeah. you, but you 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 just wouldn't do that to a starting pitcher because you got to get into a rhythm. You got to be able to like be in the flow and kind of. The quarterback position is a little bit of a rhythm position, and if you're constantly out of rhythm because you never know when you're in and you never know when you're out, that can be very difficult. I could see it more being like a first quarter, second quarter. This is what I think would happen. If if I were to do this, which I I don't think I would – I can't see a scenario where I would do this, but I think you would go, all right, we're going to give you the first quarter, we're going to give you the second quarter, and then the second half is up to me based on how you play, right? So you give them some time to get into a rhythm in the first quarter, some time to get some rhythm in the second quarter, and then you go, okay, so who gives us the best chance to win at this point? But you're right. If the kid goes out and he's gangbusters and you're up 17-3 to in the first quarter, and then you pull the guy out and you put the other quarterback in, I mean, I, that would be a head scratcher to me. That would be a real head scratcher. And I, I hope he's flexible enough to know or to think that. And, I mean, man. The more I'm around college athletics, the more I'm around professional athletes and those sorts of things, like, man, ego is, is a dangerous thing with both the coaches and the players. And ego can get in the way of so many different things that it's just really, really interesting when, when, when these decisions are made. I'm always looking at decisions going, okay, was well, there any ego involved with that now? And if there is, then you're kind of making emotional decisions instead of functional decisions.
0: So what percentage of the time do you think people are getting it right and what percentage of the time do you just walk away shaking your heads like I can't save them from themselves?
2: <laughs> um, boy, that's a really interesting question. I would say I would say that recently I would probably I, I listen, unless people want to get better and if, unless people want to look in the mirror, they're not going to get better, and I would say that the number is probably about 50% of the athletes that I work with and 50% of the coaches that I work with, like, really do want to get better. Like, they're they're not afraid to look in the mirror and see that there's a wart on their nose so they can put compound W on it. But most of the time, the the people that don't want to, they don't want to look in the mirror, and they don't even know they have warts. You know, and it's hard. It's hard to see that because we all have warts, right? We all have our blind spots. If you're not willing to look at it, if you're not in a growth mindset, that's really, really tough to work with.
1: You do a lot of work with the mental health and, and, uh, and just uh, the psychological aspect. You've got training in that. You went back and got all that stuff, set yourself up. And you got a nice thing going on. So I wanted to just ask you, it's a little bit off the subject, uh, but I think you're more than qualified to answer this. The golf tournament that they had last Sunday Right? you got Patrick Cantlay and DeChambeau, and it and it goes into, what, five or six holes of overtime. And DeChambeau ends up losing it. He had a number of putts to win, and he couldn't sink it. And as I'm watching this thing, and when DJ and I talked about it, I would have bet the farm on Cantlay winning because it seemed like every time he got on the green, he knew that the putt was going in, even if it didn't. And you knew as a viewer that he was going to win draining a long-distance putt, and I think it was 17 to 20 feet. I think they said 20, but put it at 17 later. And Deschambeau had a number of putts that were shorter than that, but he couldn't make them. How much do you think confidence played into that? Because it seemed like Cantlay felt like he was Kobe or MJ with the ball and the game on the line. This thing is going through the hoop.
2: Yeah, it was. It, uh, and I had the chance to watch it live, and it was fascinating to me. And I, I tweeted out just how fascinating it was to watch the body language of these two. <laughs> and look, Deshambo is pretty impressive off the tee, right? And he hit some amazing shots. I mean, just amazing shots. And so did Cantley. And it was really fun to watch. And uh, you know, I didn't have the courage to tweet it out. And, and I know this will sound like hindsight is twenty twenty, but. The reason why you felt that way was the body language. I mean, the body language of Cantley compared to DeChambeau was ridiculous. And those, those nonverbal cues, it's really interesting. And I could get into the deep studies about this. But the way you stand and the way you hold yourself in difficult situations can have a huge impact on what the messaging is in your brain. So they know that body language affects your, your self-talk, and they know that self-talk affects your body language. But the easiest one to fix is your body language. The easiest one to control is your body language, not all the different nuanced thoughts that go into your mind. And so you're watching these two, and there's all kinds of reaction and all kinds of body language going on with shampoo especially after I think the second one where he missed that like, like, six-foot putt, and all of them were going left there for a little while. And then if you watched him when he was putting, there was like – really really rigid arms and i don't i don't know how to explain it and it was almost like he was trying to focus too much on using his big muscles instead of his fine muscles and i just thought that there was way so much overthinking going on where cantlay was just like dude i'm here this is a beautiful day i'm really good at golf i'm just gonna let my body do the work right i'm just gonna it was almost as if and it's funny in, in mental toughness you're almost trying to cut people's heads off and i don't mean that in, in a terrible way but you're trying to you disassociate the thoughts of your brains because all of these guys have hit all of these shots a bajillion times and they can make all these shots. It's the one that can like get their head out of the way and just let their body do the work. And that, that, that whole, uh, you know, those six holes were just super fascinating to me. I mean, the, the biggest reaction that you got out of Cantley was just like his little, his little tongue coming out. Like, Oh, I nailed that shot. Oh, I nailed that. <laughs> that was the only thing that he showed at all. Is, is when he was doing something good. You didn't even have to watch the drive. Like as soon as he hit it, if his tongue came out of his mouth and he was like licking his top lip, it was it was money. It was money. And it was just like holy cow. That was unbelievable mental toughness and really fun to watch for me. And Deschambeau was amazing in his own right, but Cantley just kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on. Finally Deschambeau couldn't couldn't do anything about it.
0: So I want you to go back to something you said early in the answer there about the body language and the messaging to the brain. I thought body language revealed what the brain is thinking. You know, if you're thinking, I'm not going to make this putt, I'm not going to make this free throw, a lot of times that can be seen in someone's body language, right? I saw it in their eyes. But are you saying that the body language can inform the brain about what it should think about this situation?
2: Yes. Really? Yes. They're both. It goes both ways, and so that's why body language is so important. Is because they've shown that body language has a direct influence on your on your your self talk, and your self talk has an influence on your body language. So if I can control my body language, that puts an athlete in control, and the messaging to the brain is different. It's different, and so it's really it's really fascinating, um, and it's really really kind of fun to. To see people, like if you watch Donovan Mitchell, I know he's talking to some sort of mental performance coach because he is so he is so deliberate about his body language, even when he's not playing well. And he does all sorts of things like breathing techniques. He even uses a power word or has used a power word in the past. And well, what's a, what's a power
0: word? What's a power word?
2: So, so a power word is like, Well, I'll give you the example. I know he says the word sometimes, and he doesn't do this all the time, but in certain times he says the word trust underneath his breath at the free throw line, right? Meaning trust your training, trust the work that you put in, trust your coaches, trust all the experiences that you've had up to this point to be in this moment, right? And then he takes a deep breath and he'll shoot the free throw, right? And a power word is really good because if it's one or two words, like a power phrase or a power word, it can actually just get you hyper-focused on the fundamentals of like what you do. And now you're not thinking about, oh, my gosh, am I going to let my teammates down? Oh, my gosh, am I going to let my fans down? Am I going to let my family down? Am I-? You're not thinking all these <laughs> negative thoughts that could possibly happen. You're just thinking about what's the most important thing that I need to do right now to be successful. And these guys are so good. I mean – you know, everybody's going to say DeChambeau choked and all that kind of stuff. Man, he's good, though. Man, he's freaking good. And just a little tweak with his body language, and that guy could be winning just bajillions of, of
0: matches, right? Next time I golf with PK, I'm going to say the word trust before every putt that's inside a 10-feet. <laughs> There's no trust for 25 feet. 25 feet, you Here's close the- your eyes and you hit it.
2: Here's the problem. I'm not sure that you put in as much work as Donovan
0: in the golf game. I'm pretty (laughs) sure I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't.
1: The fascinating thing to me, Riley, is and if I relate it to my little golf situation, I play a fair amount of golf, is why sometimes I'm over the ball and I just know it is Mm -hmm. going to be great. The result is going to be exactly what I want. But other times, it's like I've never been there. How do I take from never been there to where, yep, I know it's going to happen, man. I feel great. So that's a huge leap.
2: I would I would say that's a huge leap in your golf game. To go from, man, it feels like I've never been here before, to, oh, my gosh, Pollyanna, everything is sunshine, flower, rainbows, and glitter is a really, really huge jump. So what I would say to you, if I were working with you, PK, is I would say, hey, try and get yourself to a neutral thought, Okay. So a neutral way of thinking when you're golfing is a three-two-one technique. What are three things I can see? What's two things I can hear? What's one thing that I can feel? Like the sun on my face, a little bit of a wind, whatever else. Take a deep breath and then hit the ball. And what that does is for 30 seconds, you had neutral thinking instead of negative thinking. Like, oh, my gosh, I've never been here before. This feels so off. My grip feels weird, blah, 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 yada, 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 right? So sometimes... Your biggest win is just to get yourself from that negative thought to what I call neutral thinking. And another way to do neutral thoughts is just to think the way that you would coach your best friend through something. Not the way you would coach yourself, because usually we're really hard on ourselves and really mean. But if you were to coach your best friend through a shot, what would you tell him right now? And that's a really, really good neutral or what I call productive thought. It allows you not to go to the cheesy over-the-top, like I'm a stud, I'm the stuff weekends are made of, I was born to be here, all that kind of stuff, right? But if you can get to, like, if, my, if I was coaching my best friend right now, what I would say is keep your head down and, and commit to your shot. That might be the two things that you say to yourself instead of, oh, my gosh, my grip feels weird, this wind's throwing me off, I can't believe it's raining, you know, all these negative thoughts can seep into our mind when we're golfing. Just get to a neutral thought, some sort of a neutral thought.
0: Riley, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for the football and the golf tips, and uh, I'm sure there's a basketball (laughs) player out there who can take all this to the free throw line too. Uh, That was really fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach, Riley Jensen Consulting. Join us right here on the zone. Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre and post game host on 1290 a.m. in Tucson, will join us at 9 o'clock. We'll get his thoughts on the Wildcats being 12 and a half point underdogs to BYU Saturday night. How goes the rebuild at Arizona? Mike Luke, coming up in half an hour. Stay with us.
2: Now, let's get this party started.
3: This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Blake Anderson, head coach at Utah State. This guy who's coached a lot of quarterbacks and ran a lot of offenses. What are the two or three things you need to see from a guy to give him the nod and say, okay, you're going to be the guy? It's
0: not about stats at this point. It's about a guy that shows the ability to prepare the right way all
2: week long, be consistent on a daily basis, and then protect the ball and stay within the system on game day. We just felt like that with the injury we had to Bonner and how much time you missed Spring and summer, that
0: we've seen a glimpse of what both can do, but the best way to really be thorough is just give ourselves time. I'm not going to play two quarterbacks all season, but I'm perfectly fine doing that Saturday if that's what I need to do to help give both the best opportunity to kind of prove what
1: they can do in a live setting.
3: Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280, the zone in the Zone Sports Network.
0: Morning Proudly Presented by Mark Miller's Subaru. PK, you listen to Riley right there, and you know he's gone back to school to learn a lot of this stuff. Some of it we can pick up on. I think everybody's seen Donovan Mitchell take that deep breath at the free throw line, and a lot of us have heard about breathing techniques and that, so that's probably obvious to a lot of people. I personally had not picked up on him saying the word trust, and even when Riley said he was doing it, I didn't know why he was doing it. So you hear all this stuff. How much of this stuff do you think you can apply to your own life? You know, in your case, standing over a 10-foot putt or standing on a on a tee box, you know, with a little bit of a carry over water that might challenge you.
1: I think that uh, and it doesn't even have to be a sports situation uh, because you look at, if you recall, way back when, we're going back a few years now, I criticized Gordon Hayward for the bad body language. Mm-hmm. And it always seemed like he was slumping his shoulders. Yeah. And that bothered me, man. If you want the big-time player uh, and you want to be that guy, then especially when you're the leader of the team, you have an added burden that you can't be slumping your shoulders because right. you're supposed to be the best player on the team. you know. And you can you can carry that over into your daily life and, and things and how you present yourself, how you raise your family, all those types of things. So I think there's a direct correlation uh, – how we can be better people for sure. And if you want to do it to just strictly athletic performances, uh, whether it's, you know, in my situation playing golf or that's about all I do. I play pickleball occasionally, uh, but that's, I don't really take that seriously. And I try to take golf seriously and, and try to have that confidence or you're a younger guy coming out of college gal doesn't matter. And you're trying to present yourself as far as getting a job and jobs, uh, you know, the the real jobs that you want, that you train for in college, they're hard to get. How do you present yourself? I told the story of a friend of mine. I actually roomed with him for a semester in college, went to high school with him, played baseball with him, and then roomed with him a semester at the NAU. He, he went into teaching. He was going to be a history teacher, right, at the uh, high school or middle school level. And he did all the training and all a good guy, solid dude. But he was having a hard time getting a job because he didn't present himself well in interview situations. Right. So and I've told you this story. So I knew a principal at a junior high and I said, hey, I want you to interview this guy and uh, try to try to look past uh, that. He's not the best. He doesn't present himself as well as he should. Um, And the principal hired him. And he taught at the school for 30 years, and that principal being my sister. So I was able to obviously have contact with her that somebody else would. But I believed in the guy. I just knew he didn't necessarily present himself as well as he should. As well as you need to do. So that's not even a sports situation that you can take the training that Riley Jensen offers. And we know he does stuff with our company. and He does stuff with a bunch of companies. So and it's not necessarily a sports uh, specific. It's more about the training. So, yeah, why I've always been fascinated. Why do some guys just exude all sorts of confidence? And we're talking at the professional level you know that so they've already made it and we know about Karl Malone's struggles at the free throw line in the critical situations why was that when he was such a dominant player for so long and it's not like he struggled all the time in those situations because he didn't he had a lot of success but of course we being human beings we remember the negative we remember the few that he missed and why do others succeed and and and, and also what fascinates me too dj is how somebody who in that particular game is struggling, but yet when the game's on the line, boom. Donovan. It's like they've been awesome the whole time. Donovan. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen Donovan do it already. Mitchell has it, man. He is a special player. And it's not just his ability, because a lot of dudes have ability, but I think the mental aspect is what separates him and thinking that I'm going to do this, I am going to succeed. I don't know. I haven't studied it like Riley has and made a career out of it, obviously, but I don't know how that works. I just know that when I see it and I know who has it, and I believe in Mitchell 100%. I believe in him. I, I be- Austin Colley, I believed in him 100% because I just knew that he was going to make big plays because he just exuded, I am a B.A. here, and I don't need to tell you because you're going to see it and everyone's going to know it. I just bring up Austin Colley as an example. There's plenty of examples here locally at all the different schools for that matter. And to see it, it's just a really cool thing.
0: Uh, going back a few years, the guy who caught my eye right away was Andre Miller. That He joined a team that had already gone to the NCAA tournament and won in the tournament, and everybody was back. And he took one of the starters' jobs, and he went out on the court, and like he didn't say anything. It was really quiet, but he exuded... I belong here. And he would get into the paint, and he'd be looking for teammates, or he'd be looking for a bucket for himself, but there was never doubt. And I remember thinking, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do. I'm just going to step in. And he didn't have, like, this overwhelming physical presence, you know. It, for me, at least, it's easier to understand. I look at a six four wide receiver, and I think, well, I know why you think you're so good, right? Or you look at Shaq in basketball. Well, I know why you think you're – but to come in as, like, a six one point guard or whatever he was, six two, I don't know – and just be surrounded by all these guys who've been in the NCAA tournament and won and think, I-, I can do this. Okay. That that always caught my eye. like, that was hard to do. You just replaced a guy who's already proven he can do it. And just fit right in.
1: Yeah, that's why I'm really interested to see Jared Hall. Because he hasn't played much. He's played a little. Mm-hmm. But the way he carries himself and the way he speaks uh, really makes it me yeah, believe it's, that he's going to be successful. And listening to his father, who was a Division One football player for BYU back in the nineties, and talk about how this is what he's been, this is who he is going to be. And so I'm not surprised by this. He's basically trained for this. He knew this moment was coming, and all this stuff. I'm not sure how he's going to be. I think he's going to be good. But listening to him speak, and he hasn't done a lot of interviews and he'll obviously continue to do a bunch. but from the ones that I've seen, I've seen that as a in his face and his body language and all that stuff and the way he carries himself uh, that allows me to think that all right, they got something here. He's got something here. We'll see how it plays out. I'm, I'm about I couldn't have any more curiosity over it here. Uh, I did you just played that bite, you know, it's something along those lines of, you know, we don't have to prove stuff. I mean, I think this team has a ton to prove. so and and every team does that doesn't put them in a unique situation. It's just that last year they took uh, a lot of heat for going eleven and one and wasn't viewed as legitimate. You win nine ball games this year. I think that backs it up. So I think they have a ton to prove uh, as far as that goes. And the individuals, obviously, he has something to prove here because he doesn't have any substantial pedigree of history playing. But I like what I've seen so far, even though I haven't really seen anything.
0: <laughs> you know, it's uh, from Ken Griffey Jr. to Donovan Mitchell uh, to Jaron Hall. all their stories are a little different. But when your dad's a big-time athlete the way Jaron was, how big a benefit is that? And it's hard to separate out because – all right, you're likely to be bigger, stronger, faster, right? Because, you know, you're coming from the parents who are bigger, stronger, faster. Both your parents are D1 athletes, right? But how much of it is that and then how much of it is the, the growing up around it and thinking this is normal and I fit? You know, Donovan Mitchell got to be in the Mets locker room. Or at spring training, and so he's around athletes. He's around big time athletes. How much does he think I belong? I fit. This is normal. I get this. Ken Griffey Jr. being in a locker room when he's six years old. I mean, you can't uh, you can't miss on the genetic part, right? Because Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad was an excellent player on a I know, but they've all had team. kids. So right. why
1: isn't there more?
0: Yeah, there's that. There's too. not that many. There's that. I too. mean, look
1: at golf. How many big-time uh, – just oh. if you're on the PGA, you're a big-time golfer. But how many of their sons have made it big? Not that many.
0: No, that's very rare. Uh, Stadler, right? Father-son that's, combo there. Uh, there's been Craig a few. and
1: Kevin, yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, – And a few into Love.
0: and to what level, right? Jack Nicholas's kid's trying to go on tour. Oh, good grief. Well,
3: there's John, a burden. John Daly's son is chasing it right now, too. Yeah. He's, he's younger, though. John Daly's son, I think he's only right. a teenager.
1: Well, you got Charlie Woods, man. You do have
3: Charlie Woods.
1: <laughs> Get to watch him, maybe, possibly. But, I mean, all those kids go into it. They usually follow the dads, but yet they don't. most of them don't make it.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280. The Zone, Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host. The Wildcats, how quickly can they turn things around? We will talk with Mike in advance of the opener with BYU. It's coming up in 20 minutes. Stay with us.
3: It's game week for the Cougars. Smooth, to break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 12.80 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: down bringing the better life 20th anniversary tour to USANA Amphitheater on September 7th with special guest Seether. Tickets are available at LiveNation.com. We got a pair of tickets to the show for Caller 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE 855-340-ZONE That's 855-340-9663 Three Doors Down USANA Amphitheater September 7th Win your tickets now If not right now, then later today, it's a win ticket Wednesday, so all the shows have tickets all day long. But if you don't win, you can get them at LiveNation.com. Question of the day. we got a two-parter up on Facebook. What about BYU? What about Utah? The BYU question. BYU, give it a contract extension to Kalani Satake through the 2025 season. Who is loving this? Travis says, Kalani was one of my favorite coaches while at the University of Utah. He's thrived down south too. Hopefully, he can make the in state game interesting. It already is
1: interesting.
0: Do you fans <laughs> want the game to be interesting or do they just want a clobber BYU one? Oh, I'd want one to clobber BYU.
1: Another? Of course. Obviously, you want to clobber him.
0: That's what I thought. So why does he want Kalani to make the game interesting?
1: Just to pick two numbers, I would say like 70-7. to 7.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Clever.
1: Uh, maybe he's trying to say that BYU doesn't offer as much competition. The reality is that they do. They have it every time. And the, the way the thing has gone, when BYU wins, it's close usually it's close when Utah wins, but if there's going to be a blowout, it's going to be Utah doing the blowing out. I mean, I think that's what we've seen. So I don't know how you can argue that there's been a few games that have not been competitive at all, or maybe the last time they played when Tyler Hunter was a senior and they were so poo poo. Uh, it wasn't specifically a big time blowout, but the nature they were of the totally game totally in control. Yeah, they yeah. were, they certainly were. And I think Zach was just a freshman then, right? Uh, as opposed to what it would have been last year. But we'll never know because it didn't get played Uh, this year going in. uh, We'll get to it next week. But my line of thinking is I got to favor the Utes because why wouldn't I? And I got to until I see otherwise, I don't know that I can change that. And maybe we'll change that a little bit differently after we see the Cougars take the field on Saturday night. But as far as right now, sitting here on Wednesday, 10 days or so before the game. That's my thought. But the rivalry has been intense. It will continue to be intense. It's one of the greatest rivals, as I've said many times over, where the rivalry is just as strong even in the years they don't play. (laughs) And I don't know how you can say it. I don't don't have any particular uh, experience with rivalries that are not played. My Cole college football, and I never paid a lick of attention to college football when I was back east. It's such a pro area, a little bit of Notre Dame, and everybody's a rivalry of Notre Dame. Uh, so my college experience is when I moved west and lived in two communities where there were hardcore rivals, and they play every year, the Los Angeles one and the Arizona one, right? Uh, they play every year, so I don't have any experience with a rivalry that doesn't play. So I can't speak to it except for this one. And I know it's just as intense, if not more intense, when it doesn't play. That's what makes it among the many reasons why it makes it so great. But as far as Kalani getting the extension, it's the right thing to do, man. The administration needs to sow support in this man, and they did.
0: Well, if they didn't, he would have been down. He had three years to go on his contract, and if they didn't do it this season, he's going to be down to two, and that sends a terrible message in recruiting. So it needed to be done, and if you're going to do it, do it earlier. So – they did it. They tacked two more years on. So now he's signed for five, counting the season that's about to start here for them on Saturday. Uh, and he signed through 2025. So it needed to be done. I think the, the real interesting stuff is what we don't know. And because it's a private school, it's not going to come out or certainly won't come out as quickly if it comes out at all, as far as, you know, what's guaranteed, what are the outs, what are the buyouts, Because we know there's plenty of examples in college football of coaches who wanted to leave and they found a way to leave and schools that want to get rid of coaches and they find a way to get rid of a coach. Even at BYU, Lavelle signed an extension and I remember talking to you at the time and you're like, come on, (laughs) Lavelle's not doing five years, (laughs) tell me another one. And he didn't, he did one year, but for recruiting purposes, I guess they had to put that out there, even though nobody thought that was going to happen.
1: No, it was sort of silly. Now Kalani is not in that category because he's much, he's much younger, younger, right? Obviously, I also think too, and I haven't spoken to anybody, and I would like to. Maybe I'll get a chance uh, on the road with the Cougars this Saturday in Vegas. That you know they got the Big Twelve opportunity. Did they send a message to the Big Twelve too? And we've got our coach. He's a minority, so we take a lot of hit here on being an all-white state and all this stuff. And that's not the case. You know, we welcome everyone to our campus, and blah blah blah. So there's a political reason, and it sends a message to the Big Twelve: we're stable, we're BYU, we know what we're doing here. The guy that we have today will be the guy that we'll have then, and so everything is where we want it to be. Now we got to continue to try to win football games, and you know, you can't control that specifically, uh, but what we can do, I think. I don't know that that's the case, and I haven't spoken to anybody because it came out yesterday afternoon. I haven't had time. But I'm wondering if it sends a message to the Big 12. Uh, We got Mark Pope under contract. We got Kalani Saga, the highest-profile sports, what matter the most. We're set. We're good to go. And so you get us. You know what you're getting. Yeah, we got some quirks over here, but – you know, we are something that we want to be uh, considered and, and all this stuff, and we're as stable as can get, and and we can overcome any issues that we've got and all this stuff. And that's the, I thought of that a little bit. I mean, I was happy for Satake on the face of it and just great, good for him, and he deserves it. But I think, you know, maybe there were some big 12 ramifications out there too. Who's to say there wasn't?
0: Mm, you know, I, I suppose those things are all true, so they are out there. But I think regardless of that, if you're only going to have two years on a contract with a coach, you know, once you start getting down to one or two years, well, even three, you know, what what's going on? And I think that's why you heard stuff from you know people at BYU or around BYU, the alum you talk about who uh, who stopped you, uh, you know, at dinner. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's like at three years you start to raise an eyebrow. At two, you definitely do. Okay, you know, but coach... why now?
1: Last time they did it during the season. Yeah, Tom they did took it. Took off the shirt.
0: Well, that I don't was know. that I don't was know kind this. of a that was kind of a prove it deal. Like you got to be, I'll extend you, but you, you got to have a winning record to be bowl eligible. I mean, we can't <laughs> be extending you here if you're four or five win team. So I think he got. it If you go back and look, I think he got it when they got the sixth win. Okay. So I think that was the deal then. Um, you know, now he's coming off a big season, so let's have him signed up for five years. and I, I think all those messages are sent. But I think as far as the big 12 goes, you know, they're at an 18 league. They're going to have to negotiate a TV contract. They've got to add the strongest members possible. And I just think the case BYU and UCF present are just airtight. You're trying to make the most money. These guys make the most money. and you weren't making the most money. That's why you lost Oklahoma and Texas. You know, the SEC got a massive, a massive deal, and the Big 12 got told, I don't really, we don't want to extend you. We don't want to talk about your deal right now. You got four years to go. Come back later. I mean, the message to Oklahoma and Texas, that's that's a pretty loud message.
1: Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. It would ju- it, Some form of, uh, what would I say, irony, I guess if BYU goes to the Big 12 because of Texas and Oklahoma and Utah went to the Pac-12 because of Texas and Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, that's just kind of the uh, – there is an irony to it, you're right, but that's just kind of the pecking order. Some people have brand names and some people live in places where there are just a lot more people.
3: And I know, so
0: but the, the same two schools. <laughs> I, I know, it is It is odd.
1: <laughs> have an effect all the way out here in Utah. Yep,
0: yeah. You're right, you're right, it does, you know, but it, that's – that's the pecking order. You know, Utah and BYU are in a good place. It goes back to what you said, and we can get to that coming up in this uh, next segment because it turns out that our, our guy at the University of uh, Arizona, uh, Mike Luke, had something come up, so he's going to bump back one segment. Uh, he was going to join us in the next one, but he's going to join us at 930 now, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host. So we can, we can talk about the, uh, the Utes next. But it's, um, it, it's your place right there. You're in a good spot. But you're not in the best spot. You know, there are just people that for several reasons, and, and several of them really can't even be controlled here and now, they needed to, you know, it needed. I guess things needed to play out differently 50 or 75 or 100 years ago. That's where some of these schools got a leg up. Um, and they've held on to it. They, they got there first. People in business tell you all the time, get there first. And the schools that did are still reaping the benefits. All right, we'll get to the Utes and their schedule and the way they've been doing things and the way they're changing and what they're about to do, and we will do that next. Stay with us.